energy. Welcome to the Activated Authors Podcast, a show where we distill the core principles of what it takes to become a happy, healthy, and productive author, no matter what stage of the journey you're at. I'm your host, Daniel Wilcox. I'm an international best-selling author, as well as an author coach, speaker, and creative entrepreneur. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student of all things productivity, psychology, and human behavior. Thank you for joining me for today's episode. Without further ado, let's dive in. What is up, Activators? Welcome to another episode of the Activated Authors Podcast. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Jeff Adams. Jeff Adams has written stories since he was in middle school and became a published author in 2009 when his first short stories were published. He loves hockey and musicals, and you'll usually find at least one of those elements in his stories. Along with his husband, Jeff co-hosts the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, a show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Hello, Jeff. Hello, Dan. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. It's really, it's really cool what you're doing with Activated Authors. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Yes, because you're, um, you're actually in with the Activated Authors at the minute because you are one of our expert panelists. So for people who are yet to check out the Activated Authors, we have a group of authors who are doing amazing things who come in once a month and do live Q&As with people in our uh, membership. And you have very, very kindly volunteered. I say volunteered. I kind of handed you down to bring you in. Um, <laughs> you're involved in the community. So thank you uh, very much for being involved. And I think one thing to say about the reason that I pulled you in is because I, I really like you as a person and I love what oh. you're doing with your podcast and I love sort of like the, the ideas and the directions and things that you take. Um, I just think you're a good example of, you know, how to kind of keep pushing forward in that indie movement. And from what I've seen on the out, outside, it's kind of you have quite a good sense of balancing the passion with sort of the drive for the job as well. I hope so. Like when you invited me, I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> you want me to come in here, somebody who has not managed to really write in 2021. I only got, I think maybe, I think it was one new thing out in 2021. I did do some republishing of some backlist that needed to get back out in the world. Like the, the writing side of my brain has been so tweaked. Like, I think I'm starting to come out of that now, you know, as we're talking here in, in December of 2021, but... <laughs> And I'm hopeful for 22, but it's like, it's been a, you know, a bit of a, a stumble on the writing side, but you know, the, the other aspects of, you know, what I guess I would call, you know, my author brand and the, the brand that extends beyond that with the show have managed to keep going. Yeah. So yeah, it's interesting, you know, how it's all kind of played itself out over the last, you know, couple of years. Well, yeah, I mean, let's let's dive into that a little bit because I so I went back and re-listened to a conversation we had previously. So um, for new listeners of the show, uh, I used to run the Great Writer Share podcast. For people who are subscribed to the Great Writer Share podcast, Activated Authors is laid on top of that. So you will be able to go back and find the old episode, which is episode number 47, um, which was the 7th of August, 2021. So that was 14, 15 months ago now. Um, and things were, I wouldn't say vastly different, but things were different than we were talking a lot about, you know, COVID and sort of the stresses that that's put on creativity and passion and production. Um, and you and uh, your husband, Will, were saying that, you know, there's definitely been kind of like that pressure of how do you create other things that you're putting out, you know, valuable in this kind of world where things are very sort of all over the place. Um, do you have any sort of later thoughts and developments on that? Because it's been just over a year now. Is that something you're still sort of consciously thinking about or have you found ways to overcome that? I think that has pretty much cleared itself up. 
in a lot of ways. Like my creativity is tweaked for other reasons, but some of what we were looking at there, because I mean, that was an August, August show. And depending on when we recorded it, you know, we were looking at, you know, not only was COVID, you know, still fresh, uh, there were um, all kinds of things happening, you know, unrest in the United States around, you know, Black Lives Matter was, you know, really huge. The whole, uh, even Me Too was very, you know, so many things, there were so many things just going, you know, in, in that time frame in that summer that it's like, you know, are the books that we write relevant? Is the show that we produce relevant? And I think we did kind of square that up a little bit, you know, especially since we talk about gay romance. So, you know, we're already kind of, you know, talking about romance within a, a community that is marginalized still. So there's power behind that. And then, you know, we look to promote as many voices as we can, you know, authors of color, books with characters of color, people who are on different you know, parts of the LGBTQ plus spectrum. So we really try to put those voices forward and raise them up. And then also we were getting good, we got good feedback of like, thank you for still being there. And we would talk about, you know, certain elements of things that are happening in the world, but it wouldn't be everything the show was about in any <clears> given moment. You know, it continued to be about celebrating the books that we love and doing things like that. So I think... We managed to navigate our way through there, especially with the help of the of the podcast audience who kept saying, thank you for just continuing to do what you do and, you know, be this little slice of, you know, quote unquote normal or, you know, something besides what was happening in the news of the day. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's it's very, very important to, you know, hear that feedback. I think it's, it is difficult when you're producing that stuff and, and it does go out into the void and you do get silence, but like your, your community as part of the podcast, I mean, how has that sort of grown and, and changed over the last year or so? If it has at all. We've seen since summer this year, we kind of plateaued a little bit. Like we did not see a lot of growth in 2020 per se. We kind of, kept even but in 21 we've seen you know more tick ups on the podcast side i think part of it's because we're seeing more you know quote unquote mainstream publishers uh taking on content queer content um and it's not about the struggle of being queer it's love stories about you know queer people coming together and finding they're happy, whether that's in romance or young adult, because those are the kind of the, the two major areas that I pay attention to. Um, and so I think that's helped kind of elevate the visibility of the show as it goes even more mainstream, that you could walk into your Barnes & Noble or, you know, or your Walmart even and find a queer romance on the shelf. That's huge. Mm. No, that's perfect. And um, you recently have taken a bit of a new step with the show um i believe it's a new step in running the um let me find it's the big gay fiction fest which you've recently come off of um do you want to tell the audience a little bit about what that is how you kind of came to that idea and you know how it went we're always looking for new ways to kind of engage the community and still you know not everybody wants to travel right now like there are places that we could have gone to network with people in the fall of this year that we chose not to go to 
because we're just not there yet in morning to go out and be on a plane and go to a hotel and do a thing. Mm -hmm. And plus, there are authors in our genre who are spread all around the world. And the odds that somebody who's in the UK or who's in New Zealand or Australia is going to come to the US for any event is pretty, pretty slim. That's an expensive proposition, you know, even, you know, pandemic aside. And if we could do something of an event to bring people together to see their authors and to talk about books, it's like, let's give it a shot. So it was a first, we did it the weekend of December 4th, um, actually on December 4th, uh, we premiered a whole bunch of content. It was about five and a half hours of content that we premiered. Jeez. Um, four of the segments, four of the sessions were author interviews talking about their holiday romances. And then we, Will and I did a session that, where we kind of recapped one of our favorite MM romance holiday movies from last year. And we also had a session with an author and a narrator who actually let us bring an entire segment of an audiobook to the audience. So this author put out a box set of three holiday shorts and they let us present within the fest an entire story, you know, of the audiobook put in there. So that was like an hour and 40 minutes of audiobook presented inside the fest. Uh, but we called that holiday story time. So it became this <laughs> whole thing and you could either come, you know, you could watch it quote unquote premiere cause it was all recorded. And we were in there on the comments, you know, during the premiere session of it. Uh, but now you've got replays available anytime you can come mm -hmm. on back, you know, go in there watch what you want, watch what you missed because five and a half hours is a long time to sit on a Saturday. Um, we also took the interesting idea to repackage that content and then make it available to people who had already registered for the fest as an audiobook. So if they don't want to sit inside Hey Summit, which is what we ran the event inside, they can go download the book through BookFunnel as an audiobook and play it in the app. So it's, you know, audiobook slash how you are used to engaging with our content as a podcast in a more audio format. Um, so it's been interesting. You know, we've gotten some good feedback. We're only, as you and I are talking, we're only like four days out, four yeah. or five days out from when the fest actually happened. And so, you know, we're already looking towards 2022 and how we grow the idea, expand it into not just being, you know, Pod, the, the same kind of content we do in the show itself. So maybe expanding to panels, have focused topics, do things like that. And, you know, we'll see what 2022 brings. I think, you know, there's definitely one more fest in the future. So we gather some more data to see if people want to engage with it. You know, would they pay for an event like that um, to have online, to engage with authors in that way? So, yeah, it's interesting to see. And it's been good to get you know, the feedback and even to the comments happen from people who were watching live. Uh, it, was, it was, it was very cool. And yeah, we're, we're thrilled we did the event and look forward to seeing how we kind of move that forward next year. Well, I'm glad it went really, really well for you. How do you, how do you judge, um, how do you juggle so many moving pieces with a project like that? Because, and I, I ask quite selfishly because events are definitely something that I'm looking at doing in 2022. How did you approach kind of the organization and the structure and bringing everything together? Insanity. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm a, uh, in my previous life, I've been a project manager, so I know how to 
set up the project and organize the project and then execute the project. Uh, which isn't to say that it, you know it wasn't like you know running right down until like the Thursday before. Oh, I think they always do. Week. I don't think you can run an event without that happening. Which is probably quite true. I mean, we ran it down to the Thursday before the event that you know we ran the test event all the way through to make sure everything clicked right. And we were also learning this new platform too, as we kind of went. Uh, but it's really just about you know setting it up and then you know paying attention to the deadlines that you set for yourself to make sure you've got everything you know buttoned up ready to go it's not much different really in my view than a book release mm. you've got your t your checklist of everything that you need to do to be ready for either your pub date or for your pre-order to pop live and it's much the same here like here's the to-do list here's who we've got to interview we've got to get the production work done you know, we've got to get the transcripts and the captions ready. We've got to make sure that the event is, you know, people can register correctly. And what do those emails say? And just, you know, we pulled it together in about six weeks. It's not bad. Yeah. It's and now we know, you know, going into next year, when we want to start, when we want to have our plan, you know, do our planning and start everything, especially if we're going to make people pay for it. It's got to be even a tighter mm -hmm. ship than we ran this time. Yeah. How did you approach marketing? What were your main sort of vehicles for getting the word out? Podcast, of course. <laughs> Always. <laughs> but then also relying on the authors that we were featuring to spread the word to their authors. And then, of course, the podcast social media, too. So not just within the show, but every every week repeatedly we're like, hey, catch featured author Lucy Lennox at the Big Gay Fiction Fest. Sign up now. Um, and of course the fest had its own website and everything. So, you know, separate, but separate, but in the same universe as the podcast itself. Mm -hmm. Um, so that with the website sitting there together, that way, you know, the fest doesn't take away from the podcast website mm -hmm. and the, and the fest can point back to the podcast and so forth. So hopefully it just becomes a big circle. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is collaboration. <laughs> I mean, that's really All key. comes back to collaboration. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if we didn't have the authors who were willing to spend, to give of their time to do something that, you know, wasn't the podcast, hmm. you know, most of the authors that we work with at least know who we are, what we do, and it's easy to go see, you know, 350 episodes sitting somewhere, so there's some, you know, history of what we do. Yeah. But hey, come play with us in this new thing to see, it's you know, how it works. And we'll also be talking to them too as we kind of put our plans together towards something that is a paid event so that because we want the authors to get benefit out of that as well because we're you know helping to highlight them and their work and you know what what do they see a benefit from in terms of a um you know a paid online event mm. that you know is something that isn't very much out there in terms of the gay romance space currently yeah. Are there any other kind of events like this that you've seen? There was an event that happened last year, and honestly, I hope it happens again this year, called the Pride Book Fest. Hmm. That was an author and a bookstagrammer got together and put and did an amazing job of bringing very different authors together for various panels, uh, and they ran that free on YouTube uh, one weekend during Pride. Um, and all that content is still up there. People go to Pride Book Fest 
on YouTube, just look up the channel and you can see the massive amount of work that they did there. Um, I certainly was watching all that content as it kind of rolled out, you know, that mm -hmm. weekend and then coming back for replays. But other than that, I mean, there's not, if there's events out there, they're flying under the radar enough that I have no idea what they are. <laughs> um, you know, there's, there's other romance centric things. Um, some that have gone online during the pandemic that I think we'll be flipping back to live events, you know, over time, maybe 2022. Uh, but online stuff, I think, I think it's a good time for online because we've all gotten mm -hmm. used to doing things online in these couple, last couple of years. Uh, and again, the idea of bringing together people who maybe don't travel, don't want to travel, live, you know, outside the U S who very expensive to come here. I think there's a lot of reasons that online event can work. Yeah, it is. It is a good point. Um, you know, without because it, it still annoys me that most conversations circle background to the COVID pandemic in some way but you know that's a reality that we've lived in for a year and a half nearly two years um but you're right like the the, the access to digital connection has gone up massively it's like one of the things that birthed the stuff I'm doing with activated authors I've seen a lot of events that are launching for different things that like you say that you're you can reach a much wider audience um with less of the actual sort of overhead costs of, of finding different places how do you see the balance between that digital online stuff and the in-person one? Because it sounds like you're looking forward to those in-person events. And like I know that I am. Um, but what? how do you think they kind of contrast? And, you know, how do you take that into consideration if you look at your own events? I think the primary consideration is, I think there's a bigger stage to be had and a bigger group of people who can be involved in an online event. Mm. You could cast a wider net and the cost of particip participation for speakers and attendees can be much less because there's no airfare, there's no hotel, there's no, you know, the cost of eating out the days that you're at an event. Uh, so I think that makes it really attractive. Do you get the same interaction networking moments as you are in person? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. You know, that was clear to me early in the pandemic when, um, you know, we were we were scheduled to attend uh, the event that Jay Thorne did in Nashville that I'm sorry, Jay, I'm blanking on the name. The Career <laughs> Author the Summit. Moment. Career Author Summit. We were supposed to go there. And of course, that, you know, became a fully online event. Mm -hmm. We learned a ton in that weekend sitting in our living room watching it on TV. <laughs> in our pajamas <laughs> but we didn't get to you know have a face-to-face -face with anybody you know and they ran the event great they there were questions you know there was activity happening but it was much different than a hallway conversation or you know connecting with somebody and that's true for you know readers and authors too there's a certain you know something if you can you know run into a favorite author in a hallway or stand at their table at a signing to have that moment with them. But on the other hand, if you're being able to put three authors together who all write, you know, the same genre and maybe they all love the same trope. So they all love forced proximity. Let's talk about forced proximity for, you know, 40 minutes or whatever. That may not ever ha be able to happen at an in-person event because you can't get those three together at the same time. Yeah. And I think, you know, that what can make virtual so attractive.
And yeah, there is so much of it right now. What are the sort of biggest takeaways that you've taken from running this event that you're going to be keeping in mind when you move forward to, to next year's agenda? Systemization. Ooh, that's a hard word. <laughs> Making systems. has a much nastier word that I'm not going to be able to say right now. System systematization. systematization. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that's true for the podcast too. I mean, I'm always refining the process by which things happen so they can happen more efficiently. Mm -hmm. um, I have a ton of notes about what I did this time and you know, both from the production side and then just basic organization so that it can go smoother the next time when there's even more to do. Yeah. And start earlier. <laughs> that always We're helps. really terrible about, this is a great idea. Let's do that. And then, you know, we have it like, with not a lot of time before we're actually trying to do it because mm -hmm. we knew like with the fest this time we wanted it to focus on holiday romance yeah and so you know that's and it, you didn't want to do it too far into december when you were already you know getting a when people get busier and busier and busier leading into the holidays but there's also a fine a finite window for most people when they're going to read holiday romance so like january 1st yeah, maybe the first week of January you're still reading it, but then you're kind of done for most folks. So mm -hmm. doing it that first weekend in December made the most sense to give people, you know, runway to maybe read the books we were talking about before the season ended. Yeah, I am huge on systems at the minute because, as you say, we're, we're coming to the end of 2021. So I'm very, very deep in kind of like the infrastructure of my business and trying to like make things simpler moving forward because I've got a lot of lot of plates spinning. Um is there anything particular that you use to organize yourself and to sort of create these systems? Spreadsheets. Like spreadsheets. <laughs> I was going to say, because so, you mentioned, obviously, like you're a project manager. So, you know, there's some of this baked into what you do. Um, in my old day job, I used to handle a lot of like marketing um, campaigns and projects and things. But I always find that with my own stuff, I, I just I don't follow the same practices as I do when I'm looking at like things that I would view traditionally as business, if that makes sense. I haven't built the spreadsheet for Fest yet. What I have right now is a lot of just scribbled notes, but like yeah. the podcast has a checklist I follow every single week. I mean, even though I do the work, the same work pretty much every single week, it's still a checklist so that I don't miss something mm -hmm. by accident. Uh, and it's changed. I've updated that checklist within like the last couple months to put a couple other steps in as they became things that were going to happen consistently. And is that just um, like Excel spreadsheets? It's a Google sheet so that Google it's sheet. available. Okay. You know, if I'm producing on the road, which hasn't happened in a while, but can happen. We're talking about um, online and, you know, access and, you know, people trying to get into all the different fests and things. Um, you mentioned offline that you are doing a lot with sort of like website accessibility for your day job. Um, I just wondered, how does website accessibility affect authors and, and what does that look like for us? It's become something I've looked at a lot for, let's just say creatives in general, whether you're an author or a podcaster or something like that. And I, I look at it in this terms of like, most creatives are not going to be coders, right? <laughs> <laughs> we're using WordPress, we're using Wix, we're using something else to easily build pages for our sites. But there's a lot of things to take into account when you're doing that to make sure that somebody who might be coming in with some kind of a disability 
And a lot of the times people will think about it in terms of a visual disability. So like somebody who's blind coming in with a screen reader. But blindness is actually on the lower end of the percentage of people who are impaired in some way. With the top ones being both mobility and cogn cognition. Mm. They're not going to be able to do a lot with the mobility. You're going to have to hope that the, the theme that you're using is actually one that's going to allow proper keyboard navigation because it'll be very hard to adjust that otherwise. But things to think about that can both impact people with maybe low vision and with um, some cognitive disabilities, you know, things like attention deficit syndrome or dyslexia or some of these other things. Um, proper use of colors. Mm-hmm. I mean, just how much color contrast is there between the background of what you've created and the foreground? And, you know, can somebody with low vision potentially, you know, separate those words and be able to parse the words correctly? Same for dyslexia. I mean, if you make it too hard for people, depending on the, how strong their dyslexia is, they may not be able to intake your content because they can't parse it correctly. Uh, one of the biggest things is like creating images of text. Images of text are never accessible because you've crunched, you've, you've put that text in there and the, uh, you know, uh, assistive technology is not going to read it because it is baked in. You might be able to do an alternative tag with it, but so many times I think people forget about creating proper alternative text for something. And then you run into the colors again of how, you know, how much color is going on behind it. Like, I see so many authors who put stuff on there and you know, I'm not colorblind. And while I do wear glasses, it's like usually separating a foreground from a background is not one of the issues that I have. I'm like, how did you think anybody was reading that with the font that you picked and the colors that you picked? How do I get the message that you're trying to send to me from that picture? You know? <laughs> so it's something I'm looking at along with one of my, one of my colleagues that we're actually trying to put a book together for 2022 to help creatives understand the steps that they can take to make their content as accessible as possible, keeping in mind that they don't have probably a lot of technical know-how when they're doing it. Uh, and that's, you know, for us podcasters, it's, a, you know, it's about making transcripts. Mm -hmm. So if somebody's deaf, they have the, the version to, to read, but also, you know, you may, for whatever reason, be somebody who actually uh, is able to process text better than audio. And so you want, you need, you want to be able to read it, even if it's to read along with, mm. you know, listening to the audio. Um, for video, it's like making sure there's captions there and not just AI captions, because those can be oh so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> they have been on many occasions. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and they can say things that look like they make sense, but also aren't at all what was said. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, you know, it's it's been eye-opening to me as I've learned about this, because I've been in this for like five years now. Um, so I have, a, you know, all this knowledge floating around in my head, and I do the best I can with my websites and my media to make sure that I'm creating accessible things. Uh, it's not perfect because it's very hard in some cases. Like I, there are some things I know I need to do, but I can't do it in my theme, mm -hmm. which is frustrating. Yeah. Uh, but the case, and I think, it, you know, if everybody thought about a little bit the content they were creating and how, 
you know, if you if you've created an image, have you said enough about it in the text of like your social media post or put it in the alt text that if if you couldn't see the image, would you still get all the data that you needed to know what was presented? Um, you know, are you using colors that are not going to make it too difficult for people to engage with the content? Because at the end of the day, you've got about, you know, if you look globally and across all the different impairment groups, you've got about 20% of a potential audience who has some nature or a combination of impairments. And that's well, not insignificant. No, I was going to try and put you on the spot and ask about stats. Like 20, 20% is a big chunk of people. That's one in five. Yeah. Because if you think about people who are classified as disabled and those, mm -hmm. they get classified because they might be, you know, filing for government assistance or something like that. Then you add the elderly because as we age, we might just naturally fall into an impairment group as the eyesight fails, the vision fails, et cetera. But then there's a whole bunch of people who are like not classified at all. You know, if I take my glasses off, you know, that's like, <laughs> I could see our video sitting in front of me, but if I was trying to read something back behind it, I would need some assistive technology to help me. You know, I would be, you know, in that, in a group that needed assistive technology if my glasses broke mm. um, for some span of time. And so it's, it's a large, you know, thing to think about. Uh, and, you know, anything that you can do to improve that accessibility of your site, you know, potentially helps all kinds of, you know, users. We had one user for the fest even who, who emailed us saying, I'm deaf, you know, will there be captions or something? And I, you know, I didn't even have to think twice about it. Yes, there will be captions. You know, yeah, all the videos are closed captioned and there's transcripts on the sides for whichever way you want to you know, pick up and engage with the fest. We've got that covered. The only thing we couldn't caption was the audiobook um, for copyright reasons. Yeah, and we said that. Yeah, no, it is um, it is an alarming number, and I think you know if people consider how easy it could be to deal with this stuff and think about it up front, um, just to save on because like I, I know that with my own websites, I like the flashy and I like them to look professional and I like them to sort of separate themselves but i think as you say there are a few things that can be easily taken into consideration just to make it that bit easier um i didn't know that about the image texting that is something i've done in the past that i've stopped doing um just because it's quicker for me to change things on the website now um but that that, that could be a huge difference for people and i will say just for people wondering as an example of two colors that don't go well together for example pink and mint green <laughs> if you try putting those together you cannot read anything on those and it's just disgusting to look at um are there, I know that you mentioned potentially putting this into a book, which is really, really exciting um, for creatives. Are there any sort of resources or anything that you could um, point people towards in the meantime that might sort of help with informing them a bit more about how to approach this stuff? That's a hard one. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to find. And this is one of the reasons we're writing the book. Mm -hmm. It's because it's hard to find stuff that's not overly technical right now and directed at like designers, you know, people who design for a living or people who, you know, code websites for a living. I think one of the easy things that there's a couple of things I can give and I'll give you the show notes. I'll give, I'll give these links to you for the show notes. Yeah. So there is a webinar that's available on the, on the, on my company's website that actually that I did alongside a colleague 
that talks specifically about some things, three things for content, if you're creating content on the web to think about around accessibility. And it's around images and video and color. So that is something that's out there that's free that people can go and watch that and listen to me talk about accessibility for 40 minutes if they want. <laughs> Another interesting one that could help people uh, is a free color contrast checker. Hmm. And what you do is you put into it the hex codes of the colors you're using for the foreground and the background. And then it tells you if it matches or not. But it also has slider controls on it. So you can like lighten or darken the background and lighten and darken the foreground until you find what does match contrast, good contrast ratio, so that you can use those colors instead of something that you, you know, it might help you find the right mint and green or the, the right mint and pink combo if you need it. <laughs> no one <laughs> There might be combo. one out there that works. Uh-huh. Unless you're doing like one of those weird sort of like really fruity ice creams that always have those really bright colors. But even those have the contrast of the text that works with the, I say works with those colors. Right. And I could, I'll send you those links so you can pop them into the show notes. Uh, Perfect. Appreciate that. Because um, you mentioned earlier, um, in terms of your own creativity, um, that it's been a bit tweaked that, you know, you've not sort of put out as many fiction books as you had in the past in over the last year or so. Is that partly because of this project or is there other stuff as well creatively that you're working on at the minute that's been taking that attention away? It's been a mental game, to be honest. Um, you know, if you go back two years, I have put out one novel and two, I call it one novel, one short, and a novella. And that's really it. And the one novel that came out was mostly written before the pandemic happened. It was an editing and revisions right as the pandemic started and then came out shortly after. Uh, the other two stories were like pulling teeth to get them done. <laughs> but I committed to doing the projects behind them. So it wasn't just stuff I was putting out for myself. I was committed into projects. Uh, but I've got like two, I've got one story that I started and is like stalled out because my head just wasn't in it. Uh, even though it was potted out because it wasn't a pantser kind of thing and I just you know, ran into a roadblock. Mm. It's plotted and I just like, I couldn't, connect to it anymore um and the one novella that i did i actually want to expand it so i've got a good chunk of done story there that, that i want to take and you know expand out but it's really it's really mental um what's going on there i've never experienced something like this because usually i'm pretty good and had a good track record of like i'm going to do this number of words a day boom 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 um, and then it just, it hit a wall. Um, and I think even going, you know, pre-pandemic, and I think we talked about this probably in that other episode, you know, back from the August, that we also had a publisher come out from under us. Mm. Um, and that, you know, that just kind of spiraled and was still kind of happening as the pandemic got going. <laughs> and then all of it just kind of, you know, piled on top of each other. Uh, but I'm hoping... I'm hoping the one, two of seeming to be in a better mental space creatively now, but then doing something completely different and going nonfiction mm. will hopefully <clears throat> get me back going again towards fiction in 2022 so I can finish the book that I started, 
I've got notes. This was the the good thing to me because within the last couple, within the last six ish, eight ish weeks, I've actually started taking notes of some stuff of new ideas that I want to write. Mm. So hopefully all of that combined means that I'm going to get back on the on the track of writing fiction again uh, in the new year. Yeah, I think it is often a good idea just to take that break away from stuff, um, especially if you feel like you're pushing, trying to push to make it happen. Because I think we often forget when we're trying to, you know, produce decent fiction that we can sell and, you know, that will return us on, on the investment and things that it's also meant to be fun. And, you know, it's, there's that enjoyable part that should come from it. And, you know, if you hit a space in which it feels heavier than that, then, you know, switching to nonfiction, maybe, maybe is that maybe is something in the other projects as well. Um, I mean, how, when you say it's sort of like heavy for you and there's, there's a real block, what does that, what does that look like for you? Is it, how, how does it look if you, you know, do sit down and come to the page? What's, what's that feel like? Why is this blank page here <laughs> staring at me? <laughs> like, I don't know what to do with this page right now. You know, mm-hmm. I'll write like a few sentences or a few paragraphs. And it's like, ugh. And I'm more easily distracted to want to, you know, my brain's like, go go do this other thing. Because you can, you know, go do this podcast thing right now. And it'll be a lot easier. And you'll just get it done as opposed to sit here and like stress over the fact that you know the story you're trying to write. But it's just not coming onto the page Hmm. at the moment um so yeah things like that which i'm not i'm honestly haven't been used to it before until we you know got into 2020 like we did yeah Um, because will often said like he's a machine he's just gonna go off and he's gonna do like he's gonna go knock out 2,000 words and that'll be that and he'll you know which worked for a long time and i love i would love to get back there Mm mm-hmm uh, but I think I got to definitely work the muscle a little bit more now too, because I'm oh, yeah. now I'm also woefully out of practice with that concept. <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, I went out on my bike, my push bike today for the first time in like 14 months, um, because you know I've been away, I haven't needed it, and now I'm in a new house, I've been using it, and I cycle into town. And I used to be very, very fit on that, like not like fit, fit, but like I could cycle for for miles. And I went like on a five minute bike ride, and the back of my thighs were killing me. And so like mental physical those those muscles do need to be built up and kind of um pushed forward like i am i am very excited to see what you do with your nonfiction and kind of bring this full circle like at the beginning when you said like you wasn't sure why like i reached out to you for the expert um panelist stuff it's it's like this kind of stuff that i like it's it's like what i want for activated authors is the real side of what it is to be an author it's like it's the struggles it's you know the people that take different paths it's not always about like the rapid release and the firing it's people who want to write and not necessarily wants to make money with it but just want to do it for passion um and i think that you just kind of like ticked that box for me of of someone who is a good example of you know you find ways to keep moving forward and obviously you've got the community with um, the big gay fiction podcast and that grows and you're doing lots of like cool events and things with that um and you know as someone who loves watching communities grow loves building communities and things like I, I really like just a lot of stuff you're doing and i really do hope that you know you you kind of find that that fuel and that fire again for the fiction and it, it's interesting too because i mean part of the game of the mental game with not writing is somehow and i don't know i don't know how i avoided this for the most part is like look at these people and these people just cranking out these books. Cause I, uh-huh. I, I, I'm good friends with authors who are on rapid release, who managed to pretty much release every month to six weeks 
uh, it's like, ugh, <laughs> I just don't have it right now. And then I th maybe I've been in this long enough that I go, well, okay, it is their full-time job for one. Secondly, they just have different stuff going on than I do. And somehow I didn't fall into the too much of, you know, imposter syndrome slash comparisonitis against the people who were still cranking stuff out. Um, and I wish I knew the magic way to say, well, this is how I avoided that. But somehow with everything else going on in my head, I didn't fall over there to even make the way I was feeling about myself worse, mm -hmm. which was definitely a possibility, right? It's easily uh, done. Very easily done. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, honestly, I think <laughs> I love like what Joanna Penn and, and Mark Lefebvre did with the relaxed author. Cause I think yes. that's a message a lot of people can use is like, take a minute, think about what's going on, reassess. And maybe you don't have to be like everybody else mm -hmm. to get the stuff done. You got to find what works right for you. And for me, apparently, you know, taking a block of time off from writing, uh, even though I didn't quite want to do it, was what I needed to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one of the bits of advice I give a lot to authors is if you're building a career in which, you know, you get to write the stories you want to write, you get to pick the covers you want to cover, you're like, you're going down the full indie route and you get control of everything. You do need to design it in the way that suits you best because, you know, like you say, there are other authors that can rapid release and do it. And that's just solely what they do. But, you know, they fit that in around their lives. But you have to... You have to design it and do it in a way that fits that fits your style, your time, your budget, how you want to like relate everything. Like there's so many different paths to go on, and there's no way to say who's right in, in whichever regard. Um, knowing what you know at this point, um, because you've been in publishing for a fair few years now, how would you, and I think this might, you know, be relevant and no pressure on your next book, <laughs> but how would you approach publishing your next book knowing what you know today? as opposed to when you first sort of started pen books out? Wow, that's an interesting question. Huh. <laughs> I mean, it's... I would say it's definitely... It goes back to what I just said a minute ago, and doing what feels right to you. Work with the people you want to work with. Tell the stories you want to tell if that works for your end goal. I mean, if you're trying to make a living at it, you probably have to write more to market and things like that, but you've got to keep the passion alive too. Otherwise you will end up in that spot where you're not creating and therefore, you know, that could start to affect your household bottom line kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely a juggling act. I mean, still I say the best thing that I ever did was to start to think about it like a business and, you know, at the minute, the business is not doing great on the writing side. And the business is aware of that. But it's also <laughs> not the household income either, right? Mm -hmm. But to continue to have that mindset. So it's not like, you know, it's not like a hobby where like, okay, I'm done writing now. I'm not going to do that anymore. That's not what this is at all. There's still plans. They're still trying to decide what 2022 looks like. And even when I wasn't writing, it's like, Keeping an eye on the backlist still happens. Trying to put out, you know, the stuff that needs to come back in my backlist still happens. Mm -hmm. it's trying to interact with readers in the right way, whether it's through social or through periodic newsletter releases and things still happens. But it's, 
and plus, you know, embracing for me really self-publishing because uh, I didn't self-publish from, you know, some of my, most of my first stuff was through publishers. Like I didn't self-publish until like 2015. And then that was more of an experiment to see if I could do it. And then I understood how to do it. But now I'm kind of all in on that. And I'm much more looking at, you know, where are the right opportunities for me? Like I recently came everything out of KU because I want to be wide. I want people to find it in the library. I want people to find it in their bookstore. I want people to find it wherever they want to get a book. Does that have some implications down the line? Sure. But it's the way that I think I want to run things to let everybody have access to it. Comes back to accessibility in a way too. Like not everybody wants to intake their book for what for for any number of reasons through the Kindle platform. Mm-hmm. And so I want to expand that so it's accessible for anybody who happens to want to get it, whatever platform works well for them. Um, I feel like I'm giving you a rambly answer here. No, it works. <laughs> but, you know, I might go with a publisher again for the right reasons. A great opportunity, a call, you know, for submission that catches my eye. You know, working with a publisher who I, you know, really respect if I got the opportunity to do that. Uh, but, you know, it's no longer about finding a publisher to do the thing for me. Mm. It's like I know how to do it myself. I may not do it completely 100% well or right every time, but I know how to, I know how the mechanisms work to make it happen. I love that. I think um, we'll I really round hope off. that made sense for anybody who heard that. Oh, 100% it did. <laughs> I think uh, we'll round off with a question that I stumped you with in our last chat, which is uh, Jeff oh, Adams. No. I'll be interested to know if this has changed. Why do you write? What did I say in August? <laughs> no, I mean, the core of why I write, I don't think has really changed. It's about, first of all, putting stories out into the world that I would want to read, but also casting the world in the way that I want to see it. So for the most part, you're not going to find a lot of heavy angst in the stories that I write, even the romances where some people like a lot of angst. I'm just not that person. There may be instances where you see the struggle of being queer represented, but I would also much rather cast a world where that doesn't exist anymore or it's kind of off in the background a little bit. It's a struggle I'm having with a re-release that I may do of, a, of an earlier YA book a YA series that I put out in the mid-2000s, or the mid-20-teens, rather. It's like, there's more coming out angst in there and what that means to the people in the book than I think I would want to put out today. Because mm. I want... There's so much you know, angst in the world already. It's like, I don't know that I need a book to put a book out that's going to add to that. We write uh, very so it's different it's really things. about you know, <laughs> stories that I want to read and creating the world that I want at the same time. Love it. Beautifully put. Uh, do you want to let my listeners know about where they can find more about you if they'd like to find out more about Jeff Adams? Sure. So from a writing perspective, jeffadamswrites.com. And the podcast is at biggayfictionpodcast.com. And if you want to check out the fest, that's biggayfictionfest.com. Beautiful. And is there anything that we haven't covered or is there anything else you'd like to add before we sign off for this episode? As usual, you asked fantastic questions. Well, thank you. 
And yeah, I look forward to working with the, the activated author community over the coming months too. I think that's going to be really exciting. Beautiful. Well, thank you very much for joining me for this week. Yeah, thank you so much. So a big thank you, Jeff, for joining me on the podcast today. A massive thank you to you, the listeners, for tuning in. And as always, if you're looking to level up your writing career and activate your author career, let's get that right, then head on over to www.activatedauthors.com to find out all about our community, our resources, and everything that we do. And we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Activate your energy.